Welcome, everybody, to the Third Person Podcast. I am Chris Milhouse, and as always, joined with my co-host, Daryl Hammond. Hello, Daryl. How are you today? Chipper. <laughs> Darn chipper. Chipper. That's a good one. I haven't heard that word in a while. Well, I got to go outside. You know, I moved back here to New York City from Los Angeles because for a number of reasons, but you know, it's worked out really well for me here, and I, I know a lot of people here, and I get to hang out with people and not be alone for 48 hours at a time like I was out there, which was so hard. Yeah, plus so you this, get to hang out with me in person. What a, what a treat know, for you. you. What a treat. You're always giving me a lift of some kind, a spiritual boost. That's <laughs> yeah, what it's that all what about. You, is that uh, what you want to call it? <laughs> yes, Chris's right. spiritual boost. Chris, Chris Mills, Millhouse's handy tips on living. Yeah, I'm uh, not so sure I'm the person to give tips on anything, but uh, hey, man, I'm happy to be here. Uh, quick reminder for everybody that's listening, we are doing this over Zoom, so uh, our audio uh, is hopefully pretty good, but uh, just bear with us until this corona thing passes and we are able to get an actual studio and be live and in person and indoors. What a concept that would be, huh? How was your day? No, it was good. Uh, I actually had something fun happen today. Uh, I uh, tried picking up a woman at a park today. What, in Central Park? Uh, no, it was in uh, Long Island City, and uh, it, was, it, was quite the, it was quite the attempt on my end, and I don't know what the hell I was thinking, but I, I gave it a shot. Well, was she, let's, let me break it down, was she alone? She was alone. She was walking a dog. She didn't have a mask on. And let me just say, this woman was gorgeous. And you thought that was your end? I, yeah, I, I used the dog as the end. I, uh, I was walking and the dog kind of came near me. And I was like, hey, is it all right if I pet your dog? I mean, he clearly loves me more than you. And <laughs> right Nice. Me. That was your opener? Yeah. And you could tell this woman in the, it, right away, she's gorgeous. But you could tell she just, I think she just rolled out of bed. And she looked fantastic. On the off chance she's listening to this, but I doubt it. But um, she she looked like she just rolled it, but she still looked good. And uh, like I said, she wasn't wearing a mask. She was just kind of like a little disheveled, but uh, I liked it. I was into it. And, uh, you know, I just kind of I kind of went for it. And I just, you know, I was like, hey, I said, uh, I, I said, how's your day going? And she just was like, oh, you know, it's it's good so far. And I was like, no, it's great so far because you just won the lottery. And she just looked at me. She goes, what? And I go, yeah, you hit the jackpot. You met me. What a day, right? And she just like looked at me like I'm the biggest loser. And she smirked, but like it was like a, a very much a pity smirk. You did, know? You, was that, did you really say that stuff? Yeah, I did. And then I said to her, and she, she kind of laughed. And I said, uh, I said, look, you know, um, I said, I, I'm not, a, I, I, just so you know, I, you know, I'm five foot four standing here. I'm not all just good looks and, and, and lack of height, okay? Like, I, 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 there's more, you know, layers to this onion peel here. And she just, like, looked at me and I said, yeah. I said, I know. I mean, take the mask off for a second so we don't cover up the Mona Lisa and you can just drink this in. And she's just quickly becoming unenchanted by me. More, the more I opened my mouth and talked to her, the more she was like, okay, this, this guy, what? I don't know what the, this guy's doing. <laughs> All right, so complete this questionnaire with me. Yes. When I said my, when I tried out my line on her, this fabulous woman looked at me like, A, I was a hail fellow well met, 
B, I was some sort of curious intellectual, or C, <laughs> fucking serial killer, man. Yes, I think it's more of the. It's like a, it's, it's like a, it's like a Bundy line. It was like somewhere between B and C, and uh, I and I and she just looks at me and I, I said to her, I go, you know, I I would love to give you my number and I would love to take you out. And she just looked at me. She's like, well, I have a boyfriend, and I said. Oh man, that's too bad. She goes, I know. And I said, no, it's really too bad that, you know, he's going to be heartbroken when you break up with him for me. (laughs) I I don't know what I was on this morning. I think I had too much coffee and I just kind of went for it. And, uh, does she shout police? Yeah. She started looking around. Uh, no, we're, you know, anywhere. It was, uh, she did laugh though. She did give me, I said, look, I, I, that was a nice laugh. I'll take it. And I said, do me one favor, just take my number. And on the off chance, you're not giving me some uh, excuse about uh, a fake boyfriend. Uh, I would love for you to text me and, uh, you know, let's, let's have a drink together sometime. And I, I basically forced my number upon this woman and, uh, I'm assuming she deleted it pretty quickly, but, uh, it was worth a shot. Shooters got to shoot, Daryl. Shooters got to shoot. It's like I was in the last second of game seven, you know, just taking that taking that shot that either wins it all or misses and loses. And uh, I think I missed and lost. But what do they call that in basketball? A gun? A you gun? Just throw, you just throw it up no matter what? The Hail Mary, basically. <laughs> um, I don't know. Do you, ever, do you ever uh, score with six? I, I do okay, but not after this pandemic, man. I mean, I've been, you know, fucking locked up and uh, everyone's got masks on, so it's weird and I just made it weird and I think that's the problem. I think I've been inside too long and having to deal with all this shit. Wait, did, wait a minute. Did I say chicks? You might have. I meant that side of the gender line. That's what I meant to say. You mean gorgeous women, uh, models that flock to me? Yes. Uh, that's what you meant by chicks. Um, Is, isn't chicks like, am I going to get in trouble for saying chicks? No, I don't think so. You caught yourself and corrected. I mean, women, ladies, uh, females, do, whatever you want to say. I mean, do, do women mind someone referring to them as a hot chick? I, You know, I think majority don't. Uh, of course, I'm now a woman, and I cannot speak for them. But I think from my experiences, most women don't. But there are a few, I'm sure, that are like, I'm not a chick, I'm a lady. And you're like, okay, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> Whatever you say, don't want to be in trouble. Did you ever try and uh, pick up a lady with a terrible line like I did? I, I think there were a couple of times when I tried and it was just such a disaster that I never, I, <laughs> I, I never did. Hard, it. man. Like whatever chip that, you know, I knew guys that would, every time they went out, they, they, they hooked up with somebody and I just didn't get that chip. I don't know. Yeah. Do you, did you find it? Let me ask this question. Do you find it easier or harder because you are kind of well known, like you're, you're on TV and people, people know you like, is that, is that harder? Is that easier for you? Well, there was a time when I was on television when I think that women would um, be interested in me because um, I played Clinton and thinking for some (laughs) bizarre reason that I'd go to dinner with them and there would be something about me that was like Bill. It was just always such a great disappointment for them. And they're like, wait, so you don't have a cigar that you're not yeah. going to smoke and use for wait, something like, else? 
He's not at all like Bill Clinton. He's just a dude. <laughs> Wait, you're not going to make me blow you under the Oval Office desk? Yeah, like, and I don't really want <laughs> you to want that. And can we get out of here? I mean, I, I remember going to dinner once with this uh, pretty famous woman. And you could actually see that as she began, as we began to talk, you could actually see the sweat starting to dam up on one of her brows as she realized, oh, my God, I've gotten my, <laughs> I, I myself into something that it's going to take me an hour or two to get out of. Oh, yeah, I'm familiar with that look. <laughs> I yeah, am like, very familiar with that I look. I want out of here now. I already know it, and yet how do I do that, you know? Yeah, I actually, one time I actually said to a woman, I met her from uh, a dating app, um, and it's like a year or two ago, and we met right away, right away, I see on her face that when I showed up, she was just not into it. I could tell immediately, and I just was like, so we sat down to have a drink, and I just, you know, as we're drinking the drink, I looked at her, I go, it's not a look on your face when, when we met, and I said, I don't know how I look any different from these pictures or whatever, and I said, but I could tell you're not into it, and she was like, Oh my God, you could tell. And I was like, yeah, pretty easily. <laughs> she, mm. she laughed and she was like, well, you seem really great. And I was like, well, that's nice. But you know, if you're not into it, you're not into it. And you know, it is what it is. And I, I think I've had that look on my face, uh, you know, a time or two over the years where, you know, if I, uh, if I'm just not into it, I, you know, if I meet somebody at a bar and I'm just stuck in a conversation, you're just like, Oh man, like, how do you get out of this? But you got to, you know, like I said, shooters got to shoot. So, you, you know, it doesn't matter. You got you live and learn and you, you go through these trials and <laughs> life goes on. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. I mean, these, uh, like as, I said, that's uh, Corky used to say life oh, goes yeah. on, right? Dad. Yeah. In, the, in that show, life goes on with Patty LaPone. Somebody Sorry, told no. me that they might be remaking that. Really? With Corky? I yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if they're, if that's, if that's true or not, but they seem to be remaking pretty much everything these days is that right yeah i know they do a lot of revivals on broadway i wasn't aware they were doing that on television as well oh yeah they're 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 redoing a lot of tv shows i think it really started with um man i'm trying to think of like maybe full house a few years back they made a fuller house for netflix you know and ever and everyone watched like in the beginning like the first episode and then after that the viewership's kind of fell off because everyone's like yay uh yeah we don't really care about this you know like it's like nostalgia and then you're like oh do you really want to watch this whole thing it was cheesy back then it's cheesy now not to take away from that show but you know it's hard to do some things without adding a new wrinkle and maybe the new wrinkle is like wait i like the old one i liked i liked that product you know yeah, when, uh, I, I don't. I'm not a big fan of a lot of these remakes, honestly. I mean, whether it's TV or movies or what, you know. Um, I don't care. Whatever it is, if, if it can take my mind off off myself for a little while, and yeah, get a good distraction, you know. Yeah, I start getting depressed sometimes. I, I beat myself up, and then you know, so I put on TV and put on Homeland, and for four hours, I, I'm transported. Yeah, you know, it is amazing that sometimes what these types of shows can do for you and your mental health because it does help you take your mind off of stuff. Um, I will say this for a remake. I'm really excited about uh, a sequel, I should say. It's not even really a remake, but a sequel to, um, uh, what is it, Coming to America. Does it have Eddie in it? I believe so. Um, but he's So it's basically about Eddie's son, and I 
I think I'm not sure. I'm not. I mean, I, I could be completely wrong on this whole thing, but I know that Jermaine Fowler is. Uh, he's a stand-up comic uh, out in L.A. He used to be here in New York, but he is playing the lead, and I think he plays Eddie's son, but I'm not quite sure. I'll watch anything Eddie Murphy does. But I'm pretty sure they're bringing back like a lot of the original cast. So I mean, that should be I'm, interesting. Uh, James Earl Jones too. Yeah, bring him back. I think he's coming. That was a killer flick. Yeah. Well, what do you say we uh, we bring on our guest for today? That'd be great. Yeah, uh, our guest today is the one and only uh, the great Jamie Kennedy. One two one two. Yo yo, Jamie, turn on your camera. One two one two. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear us, dude? Hey. I like made my shit look so pro. <laughs> Here you are. What's up, fellas? What's up, Daryl? Hey, hey Jamie. Welcome, Jamie Kennedy, to the podcast. Uh, Jamie Kennedy, of course, is legendary. Okay, I'll beef him up a little bit. I'll give him a little pump up. He is—he's uh, an actor. He's a stand-up comedian, Whoa. and of course, he is my good friend who I actually tour with from time to time. So, Jamie, thank you so much for being here with us. Dude, thank you guys for having me. Look at Daryl. He's smoking a grit right there in the library. <laughs> yeah. What's up with your background, man? You, your face looks like your bricks. <laughs> oh, no. It's, it's just bad. I'm sorry. It's a background. They put a comedy club background in this thing. Oh. <laughs> oh, sorry. Is that bad? Does it look weird? It does look a little strange, but it's all right, man. These are all books that I bought over the years that I swore to God I was going to read. <laughs> I, I didn't i haven't read any of these books so he's and, starting a fake library well there was back in the day when i was really starting out as a stand-up and writing millions and millions of jokes and i had a theory in my head that the more cultural stuff i had in my head the the better i would be so i would buy these books to try to learn more about shit that i didn't know anything about you know yeah and as it turns out the only way i ever got a joke was to try something on stage in the village you know i'm not a guy who can write the joke out in advance dude i'm the same way man i it's like you gotta just get an idea and then you just kind of test it you know what i mean and then see if it works it's like i've never been one to sit in a coffee shop and scroll back in the day when i was real i had a i i i really thought there would be times when i thought God damn this. I would write a joke and I would say, fuck, this is funny. Yeah. I'm going to revolutionize comedy tonight. You know, like I am really going to take a quantum leap in my, the development of my stage character. Every time I got excited about something I wrote, it bombed, you know, that sounds about right. And then I realized, Oh wait, it's for them. Not for me. <laughs> yeah, so you write, I, you write a joke for you, and then they—they, they, it's the, you're too ahead of them. No, they just think I'm a fucking weirdo. Jamie, you've been doing—I've seen been doing a lot of Zoom shows. Uh, you also did the Magic Castle show that Daryl and I have talked about. This we're comparing shows. You know, like I—it's—I was deep in hibernation, <laughs> and one of the few people I talked to was you. You know, and then. I slowly made it out till like one day I needed these pills. So I went to CVS and that was like scary. But then I got past that. Then Trader Joe's. Then I got past that. Then Whole Foods. These little things in a gas station. Then I played around the golf. And I slowly was like, okay, what's the line here? 
So then Tammy, so I did a couple Zoom shows, and then Tammy was like, here's what it is. Uh, will you come to the show? And I was pretty scared, you know, because, but it's awesome. So <clears throat> she built a stage. Tell me, the, the listeners may not know who Tammy is. Oh, so I'm so sorry. Tammy Joe is uh, one of the, she's a great comic, and she's uh, one of the great bookers here in L.A. And one of the great people. Yeah, she's wonderful. And yeah, you, Daryl, you, I always see you at her shows. It's like, yeah, we're always on opposite ends of the show, usually. Yeah. Um, and she's awesome. So she, her and her wife did this show. And so they went into the Magic Castle parking lot. They built a stage. And then they have the MC has one microphone, and they're like, 10 feet to the left each comic has their own microphone that is completely designated for that comic for that show yeah and then you have a covid compliance officer so you show up you answer a bunch of questions they take your temperature you have your mask and then you go out and people have clackers so she did this really cute thing oh clackers go clack 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 and it's like clapping but if you're Killing, you'll hear the clack and you'll he- actually hear the laugh. There's about a hundred cars per show. Do they honk their horns? Or uh, they hit their lights. They hit their lights. Okay. They hit their lights. They do all stuff, and it's awesome. It's different. And each time I've done it, I'm like, okay. And then I, by the last time, I was moving, getting all crazy with it. Here's one of the coolest things about it, besides us going out again, besides the audience digging it and really wanting to do it is the community like every comic after the show stays and hangs. Oh, that's awesome. And and all we do is just talk like, Hey, what's up, man? (laughs) How you doing? What's going on with you? Like everybody. Yeah. You see the, and the lineup is, has everybody included all types of comics and it's awesome. And I just, and there's a thing going on where we want to just connect. That's awesome. I mean, it's a little bit different here. We, we don't really – there's one drive-in show here that's in a parking lot of a diner at, uh, in Astoria. And I, I guess it did the same thing, but a lot of people beep. And then there's that aspect. And they have some tables in the front of that where people can actually sit at the tables. But it's only like 20 people that can be there because, you know, it's spread out. But um, the rest of the shows, like New York Comedy Club, they have a little, like this great little – penthouse and it's the rooftop that they put people up and basically that that show is awesome and it's it's small it has like it seats maybe like 30 tops and everyone's they they space it out at least six feet away and each person so there's the host so when i host there i have my own microphone and then when i bring up another person i have a a a wipe a clorox wipe and i just wipe down the second microphone and i hand it off in between each comic so it's always sterilized you know Dicey. Uh, it's always sterilized. And then and, uh, most people wearing masks for the most part on the rooftop. But uh, it's great, man. It's a great setup. I really like it. It is, uh, it's definitely different. But, you know, this is what we're doing, man. And they shut down most of the uh, – they shut down all the other uh, comedy shows outside. Cuomo wanted nothing to do with comedy. Really? Yeah. So they kept, like, coming through and shutting down a lot of them. Like, um, I, I just, like they still have some that's go on in, in Central Park, but there's no mic. You just have to stand in the middle of a field. And uh, you just yell at people, basically. That's theater. That's Joe Papp. 
Yeah, it's it's a little bit different, man. But you Daryl got that reference. Chris, did you get that reference? I did not. <laughs> um, Daryl, I, just I tried to go. I just tried to go with it. Daryl, tell yes. him. <laughs> Joe Chris. Pap was Joe Pap was uh, the first Chris Millhouse. <laughs> he was the first guy to do this, and, and he had reasonable success, wouldn't you say, Jamie? Hmm. Huge. Dude, Joe Papp is the original Shakespeare in the Park, New York. That's him. Okay. He does, he does it every year. So, But you don't have many microphones. No, you just, yeah, this, this is, that's kind of what they're doing now. And I mean, basically, so w- one thing that was cool that I learned about yesterday is that uh, there's a woman that owns a venue, a comedy venue here, and she uh, basically got all the owners of the comedy clubs together, and they sued the state of New York over this. And Ooh. so... What they're doing is they, they – and the woman has um, ties with a senator. So the senator got her a phone call with Cuomo so they can talk about it. And she's like, look, you're killing small businesses. You're killing comedy clubs by not letting us open at a small capacity, even outdoors. You know, and, uh, and, and Cuomo's considering, you know, letting comedy clubs reopen at, at like 25% indoors because he just, he just yesterday – passed the, the law saying, okay, indoor dining can come back, but in October. So October 1st, indoor dining can come back. 25% capacity has to be spread out, has to have temperature checks, has to wear masks, things like that. I was just looking at my phone for a contact at Stand Up New York. Who's your contact? Who, me? Yeah. We need oh, to show uh, it's a guy named John. That's the booker there. And you say it's fun. Well, the, no, Stand Up New York is the one that's doing them out in the in the, in the fields, like in the, in Central Park. The other one was New York Comedy Club that I was talking about. That it's on. Oh, this. downtown. Uh, yeah, this one's in like right by the Flatiron Building in Chelsea. Okay, got gotcha. you. Who, who does that? Um, that's a woman named Amy, and it's owned by a guy named Emilio. Yeah, that's awesome, Daryl. That's an amazing club, and I yeah. did a Zoom show with them. So they're doing live shows now. You said on the roof, but that's they are. Not- yeah, they even had a, they had another venue. They were doing shows out on a sidewalk at a restaurant just outside. And man, let me just tell you, people were walking through. You know, you're standing there on stage. There's no stage. I'm just on the sidewalk with a microphone, and people just walk right through. I mean, they walk because they got to get through the sidewalk. We're in the middle of the sidewalk, dude. <laughs> It was nuts. There was one comic who 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 looks kind of like me, but a little nerdier, and uh, he made an offhand remark at a guy that walked by, and the guy turned around to go fight him because <laughs> he, he was just trying to joke around in the moment. And he was like, "Oh no, 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 just kidding, just kidding, just kidding." <laughs> so wait, people are they walk so right you, in front? So of Emilio has you guys just doing it on the sidewalk, and then yeah. people. There's no. That's like yeah. the original lunchroom show. For colleges, like oh yeah, oh yeah, in college, yeah, you yep. know how it is. Yeah. You're standing out there, and you're People like just intruding. walking by you eating. <laughs> oh, it's wow! And you, always, and you always try to say something to the person walking in front of you, yeah, to sort of indicate to the the, the larger audience that this is nothing unreal here. There's <laughs> nothing out of the ordinary here. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? I was, just, I was trying to, you know, play it off. I mean, on the sidewalk, people walking by, I'm like, it's fine. I'm just having a mental breakdown with a microphone. You know, people just, they, some so, of them laughed, you know, and they, some of them just were like, well, you, you do you buddy. And they keep fucking walking, but it's, it was odd. So anyway, that ended up getting shut down by, by the, the, the state, the state came through wow. and they're like, you know, no comedy outside. And then, they, yeah. And, but yet they said it was okay to have live music, which was very odd. And 
I don't know what the Dude, whole for that was. But. This is weird. I'm first of all, it. I did a show in Orange County, and that's basically like another planet. Did you do the Irvine Improv one in their in their parking lot? No, I did a beach show, and it was awesome. Oh, nice! And everybody was on the beach. Now I was scared because there was people. They weren't in cars. Yeah, it was only about twenty percent mask but it was down in huntington and it was all in this beach bar but it was way back and it was great and once i did that i feel much more confident it was a normal show just people were far away yeah well also too the thing that makes me feel better is being outdoors so when it opens reopens indoors i'm i might be a little nervous you know i'm 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 not going to hang out inside once i do my set i'm just going to get out you know i know but what's crazy is is why are they letting music go i almost think there's a conspiracy against comedy like, yeah why? i don't like, comedy I, I, is the easiest thing to do why exactly i don't understand the whole thing and i mean my theory i've told this before my theory is maybe maybe they're afraid people are going to get too drunk because it's so easy going and you're just watching a show but i said the same thing could happen with music it doesn't matter you've seen people hammered at concerts man you know like do they sell liquor at these shows um so the one at New York Comedy Club on the rooftop is BYOB, which is cool. So you just basically pay for the ticket. Yeah, so Magic Castle, they deliver. It's like car hop. Deliver nice. right to your car. Yeah, um, that sounds so great. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. And it's like I wasn't like dying to do shows because I'm like – using this time in a way to like just get caught up on all the things that I normally don't get caught up in my life. I didn't, you know, this might not be popular. I didn't mind the break, you know, there's a and, lot of people saying the same thing. Yeah. Like, cause we would never would have taken a break otherwise. No, we're always we push on ourselves. That, we, yeah. We push ourselves too to hard city to radio show to self tape to game show, whatever, you know? Yeah. So it's great, but it's, 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 I, I'm actually like, Oh, I'm evaluating things. And, and, uh, but doing these shows, it's, it's a new way to connect. And I think everybody on the circuit is just much more like, how you doing, man? Do you get like, to no bullshit anymore. <laughs> We're all in. It's good. Do you get the sense that, um, this experience is changing you in some way? hundred, hundred percent. Um, first thing I would say is I only want to do what's important to me. I don't want to waste time. I don't, I this sounds corny, but like, I don't want to, I, I want to be respectful as always, but I don't want to have to go out and have be a people pleaser. You know what I mean? Like, like make sure everybody, it's like time is limited. Um, and, and I feel that like, I'm actually doing things I never do and I'm kind of enjoying it. Like, well, I started playing golf again, and you know I used to play a little. Well, you bit. are you are elderly now, so you I know. <laughs> Turn fifty, play golf, <laughs> and it like, comes with a, it's like a rite of passage. Once you hit fifty, you're like, I guess I should get some golf pants, you know? Dude, it's all comics too. It's like hilarious, <laughs> but I I never did it. I did it in high school. Yeah, and I then we went on our journey, as you know, and it's you know Robin Williams said it the best. He's like. It's not the doing the job, it's the getting the job. 
we spend all our time trying to get these, no matter what level you're on, unless you're on the super, super, super exclusive level. So we're always hustling. You know what I mean? There are no breaks. A break is like a massage day, maybe, you know? So if I ever played golf, it was like at some type of like celebrity thing or whatever. But I yeah. never really played. Or maybe so like now a I just started, party or something. Yeah, I started doing that. Also, Daryl, I started taking all my old clips from zero to now, and I'm having them clipped up. I'm paying this kid to put words to them and going to start putting them on, building the YouTube page properly, building the Facebook. Facebook has all these things, but if you can, they'll start monetizing your page if you have a, good, a three minute clip and it has to be within these guidelines. So I, I read all about that. So I'm just trying to like kind of make my own little. Jamie yeah. Kennedy. Plus, you you actually did a um, you did your own channel on uh, Roku. Roku, yeah. I also yeah. got a, a channel on Roku, and that's pretty much like all these other things now, where you get a piece of the ad stuff. But I think Roku is going to be the next wave because they're not canceling anybody. They're yeah, not- tell me what, tell me why you say that. Well, YouTube is pretty uh, is 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 banning a lot of people. You know what I mean? And they, I know a what? guy with. Um, difference of opinions, things they consider conspiracy or mm. things that they may think if you say a word about something that they don't like or just buzzwords, they'll demonetize your page. There's a guy that I forget who he was. He's a, he's a trainer, but he says certain things they don't like. He has 2 million subscribers demonetized. Really? So yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that aren't just considered you know, wild conspiracy theorists that are getting demonetized. They're very, they're getting much more selective now and it's their world. So they can, but are they, are there any conspiracy theories that they allow? Well, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but if you, if you say stuff like, um, if you like, are any, if anyone like is positive about hydroxy, what is it? Oh, hydroxychloroquine. Yeah, hydroxychloroquine. So if anyone says like, hey, look, you know, my aunt took that and it kind of works, they will be noticing your page. They may actually flag that video. So anything like that, and you can do the research and there are some people that have said that this thing works. Now, I'm not, I don't know, but I'm just saying, (laughs) I'm not, you know, traveling in that world, but they definitely are on top of it. So it's, it's interesting times. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this too, dude. Like, are you able to, are you been, have you been um, auditioning for stuff? Cause you're, you know, you're a really great actor, man. You've done so much acting work consistently, exactly. consistently, exactly. man. I mean, exactly. it, no, it's uh, you're, you're going to take this praise and you're going to go with it. But uh, <laughs> no, man, like it's funny. Cause like people go, you know, I've had people say, Oh yeah, Jamie Kennedy. I remember him. Has he done anything? And I'm like, yeah, like since the two thousands, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, yeah, not edit much. that part of the clip. Not much. Uh, <laughs> hurtful, hurtful. I know, um, but you know, but, but uh, you know, you you have consistently worked, man. You've done so much acting work. So I mean, have you been have you been auditioning like you know from home, self self audition, self tapes? Um, couple things is that it's so funny you say that because <laughs> if you do stuff and it's not Avengers, people are like, where you been? Yeah, no shit, right? But it's like, you know, I have to remind the public that Disney had three studios, Hollywood's Pictures, um, Buena Vista, and Disney. And each made about 27 movies a year. 
Now Disney probably makes nine. Oh yeah, and everything got scaled back. So it's like when, when did that? When did that start? Rider strike. Mm, you tell me. I think it started around twenty ten ish. Twenty. They started scaling back. Streaming started getting more popular because you notice that every movie, instead of one star, has twelve stars. So yeah, one twenty million dollar movie becomes ten twenty ten one two hundred million dollar movie with ten twenty million dollar like budgets you know what i'm saying yeah it was explained to me uh, a couple of years ago that people they hollywood was doing two-thirds less scripted stuff therefore stars from tv stars from movies were moving to tv and stars from tv were moving to character parts on tv so i would go like into these auditions and there'd be like these famous people sitting there for like eight lines and i i was like jesus i it's the shiniest toy in the Ben era. Like, I, 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 I don't have those kind of credits, you know? It, it, it's such fascinating that you say that because um, is that, yeah, more, one time I went on a, on, a, on a movie, Catherine Heigl movie, and it was like, it was like seven pages of like, massive dialogue it's a great role but it was like 9 a.m and you know like i I, i'm sure you're like we're the same i can't act before one you know (laughs) you know yeah oh no the well is dry yeah i'm all about the night shoots and it's like we gotta warm up especially try to be funny yeah and so i walk in and um jay moore's there and Lillard's there. And then I do my audition. We're all like laughing and we're walking out and Rappaport's walking in. And I'm like, this is where we're at. <laughs> this is where we're at. Co- like people that I work with, that I look up to, we're all. And by the way, that was like 10 years ago. Now you're right. Now it's like, you know, a guest spot requires like a committee of like 30 people. Yeah, just but, for like one line. Yes, it's like, <laughs> you know, back when I was coming up, you had the director and you, if you made it to director, and then it was a work session. And you can look at your script, and then you can improv, and then you can try, and you go back and forth. And it was, it was okay to fail. And he'll try it like this. They saw something, and they tried it. Now it's like, off book, know it, done. What's your history? What have you done since? I don't remember anything before 2019. <laughs> yeah, it's it's odd. I mean, I've I've only had it one time where because uh, I don't act that much, but I I did it for a little bit when I was in L.A. and I had one time I got an audition because somebody was in my audience at the Hollywood Improv, and this guy was like, "Hey, I'm doing this new TV show. Uh, it's for the guy who played McLovin, Christopher Mintz Plass, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the star. is for CBS. It was a sitcom and a uh, it was greenlit for pilot. And he said, I want you to play one of his best friends." Uh, he goes, what happens like in the, in the script, he's like, you know, he moves here from Midwest and he starts to work for like Groupon or something. And it was, it was a terrible script. I'm going to say it's awful, but I don't don't say that. What if the writer's big? I don't give a (laughs) fuck. Uh, it was, it was pretty shitty. There's a reason why I didn't get the part. (laughs) I, so I go into this thing and I just remember like, um, 
you know, I'm nobody, but this guy knows me because he saw me on stage. And so they have me read and I read the part and I just couldn't enthusiastically read it because the script was so bad. And I just, I tried, but I was like, oh. And then, so they just kind of, they had that, you ever be in the audition room where they have that look of like, okay, thanks. You know, like it, it was oh. like a very much a look of defeat where they're like, you're not it. And then, but I said right before I left, I go, can I try this? one other way can i improvise and just change one thing and and try it a different way and i i changed the dialogue and because i'm i'm a writer i write stuff and you know and i i'm a comedian so i try to do it funnier and i did it and they laughed and i got like i got a good laugh and they just go they just kind of looked at each other and they just looked at me and i was like you know like i, I and they go so uh you'll get a call back and i was like oh shit like right away i got a call back because i switched it now now i've went on auditions since and it's never like that it's like you know can i try it a different way and they just kind of shut me down immediately they're like no nope, yeah <clears throat> you got a writer in the room now who's gonna fucking raise holy hell yeah if, yeah if but- you're fucking doing improv on his script and getting a laugh yeah, and I said to I even said to the guy, the director, I was like, "Look, man, I go, you know, if if I don't, if you don't think I'm right for the, <clears> at least <throat> hire me as a writer, that would be great." Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have, I can remember, I don't know how many auditions I would go to where the person would be either watching the monitor, there'd be one person in the room, they're watching the monitor, and they're not really looking at me, and they're taking a bite out of their sandwich. And then they look back, and they're eat, eating. They're eating. <laughs> the people are eating while I'm up here emoting, and I'm trying to deliver my product. And then someone's and I went to this one audition like that, and afterwards some, my agent said, oh, well, you know what? They are, had already cast that anyway. They only had auditions oh. because they were legally obligated to, and I'm like, great. Thanks so much. Glad I we wasted each other's time. Hate that. Yeah. There was there was a there was a part. I'll just say this last one. About a year and a half ago, there was this really big part on Showtime, and I got. I guess I auditioned six times, and I was told I had been cast, and I was so excited. But then there was this period where we weren't getting our calls returned. You know that, Jamie? Mm, like totally. Oh yeah, you're the man. You're the guy. Ghosting. Yeah, you're the on phone hold. lines go silent. And um, they cast someone that was more famous than me. And uh, my agent said, you know, it's almost like now it's not like giving a good, a great read. It's how many likes do you have on Instagram? Um, I've been hearing that and seeing that. And I've definitely been seeing that the whole social media package is part of this thing. Oh, yeah. I have that in, in, in pitch meetings a lot. You say that you do. right to your face. Really? Yeah, but I watch like, your social media, and you're like, that's non-existent, really. I'm sorry, but <laughs> I do feel like it's either like you have to really, it's like either you have to be able to be almost the green light person or a, a name to totally get it going, or you kind of have to be unknown. I feel like this the middle class. Actor, oh yeah. It's a little, it is a little like, you know, okay, maybe, maybe not. So I, I run in like, sometimes I run into things where I'll get an offer right away, but it's like, you know, a movie that'll go straight to Redbox, you know, which I'm not angry. I'm happy about, but you know what I mean? Like that check still clears. Yeah. But it's like, (laughs) so it is an interesting, I do, I do feel like there's a lot of upcoming people though, you're saying with the social media thing that is 
very appetizing to the town. Well, I went to a Broadway play with this famous female director, right? And it was this was just last year. And I went to see her show, and she didn't like her mixed reviews. And then afterwards, she was sort of confiding in me that she didn't get her cast, the cast she wanted. She didn't, she didn't have full control over who got cast. She was... The producers sort of overrode her and said, there are these two people we want to have leaves in the show because their Instagram things are so high. Oh, God. Um, which was sort of upsetting to her. Yeah, well, it's, it shouldn't be about who follows you and who ca- double taps your pictures. It should be about who's the best for the job. Who's the person that you think fits that role the best? Not that's who's a great, sell this that's online. A great, that's a great phrase for this time in history. Who double, cla- uh, taps, double, your double taps your picture? You yeah. <laughs> Dude, I mean, Daryl, let me ask you this, because Chris, you might have a different outlook on it, but I, I, do you think that the dream is dead? The dream of what? Like this, the, the success in, in Hollywood? The dream is different than what it used to be, and I'm curious to see what Daryl thinks, and then Chris, I'll get your take on it, but like... Well, does this have to do, you know, there came a time in my life where I've, I lost some big stuff because I was told I wasn't famous enough. Um, my dream was that when I first started out in, in comedy and in show business in general, my dream, my fantasy was that I would get so fucking good at this stuff, someone would have to pay me. That's my dream. <laughs> like, if I go in there and I do the best read, I want the part. You know, and and maybe that's not, I don't know. I don't know if that in my fantasy, it was show business was sort of a meritocracy. Like I got to be good to get this part. I, you know, I gave the best read and, um, someone told me and a very famous actor said, man, show business is a game of chance these days. Well, yeah, I feel like that. And then what I mean by the dream is it's like, you were saying a meritocracy, which I totally agree with, but I was also saying, like, are we ever going to go to a premiere again? Like, oh, are, yeah. are movie houses going away? Is the specialness of seeing a young starlet and the Dior dress on the carpet and all that that comes with it, is an actor going to break off a best supporting role or that you never heard of? I mean, or is it just content explosion which i like because i do like a lot of content and it's just all in there now is it all just yeah and and, and you wonder after after covid is quote unquote over um and we're back to quote unquote normal are people gonna want to see that red carpet anymore i know after you see starving americans i agree you see people thrown into mass graves and after every one of us, all of us have to reconsider our value system to stay sane. You know, now when I was in Hollywood, there was no one to hang around with, man. I was alone all the time, and that fucking sucked. Now I'm in New York. I know people. I'm always at least on a bench or an outdoor cafe, and that's my, my value system now. Like, man, I want friends again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I Dude, I so agree. Like, it's... I love Hollywood. I love movies and TV and, and all of it. But I do agree. My 
my priorities have changed to that. Like I want to sit on a bench and have a burrito and just connect. And uh, but yeah, go ahead. But like the, the thing of Hollywood though is like I do believe like you're totally right with the value system changing. Like people are going to start looking at stuff what is important to them. But I was also saying just in terms of the content, like even though it can be very frustrating, you are picked by quote unquote tastemakers. And to get through that is a, is, is a pain. But when you do it, it is gratifying. I'm not saying they still don't exist, but with the crashing and changing of the guard, I feel like online has control and the tastemakers may not be as you see people are just making their own things and where the eyeballs goes, you know, Hollywood follows. Yeah. And then when the Harvey Weinstein thing happened and people began to see the extent to which, you know, the guy had talent. He did make great movies, but the way he controlled Hollywood and who got the parts and mm-hmm. who didn't get the parts, you know, I remember talking to an actress friend of mine in the village and she was saying, you know, I've always suspected that Hollywood was rigged on some level. And now I, I see it is, you know, or has been under the Weinstein rule. Does that make any sense what she said? Um, I think you so. Know, I think that the, ahead, like, we're, we're seeing a lot of layers now that we never saw before. You know, back in the day with, you know, now the social media is all around and, we, you know, you can, you know, things are being pointed out and everyone's connected. We're all so connected to each other with this stuff that it's not the same. It's a, no, you know, stars aren't living in, you know, in this like allure that they once were mm-hmm. where, you know, you just, you saw somebody out in public. You're like, oh, that's a big deal. And now you're like, you know, you see everybody all the time because you're on the, these phones and you're on laptops or whatever, you know, and I don't know. I, I think that all these layers are being revealed. This onion's getting peeled. And now people are being more and more and less enchanted with Hollywood now because we're so connected. We're so informed. I totally agree. I think. Or it, I what will glam saying. and glitter mean? It's not going to mean as much as it was in the past, I don't think. In three and, years. And I still think that people will, will look to Hollywood for uh, uh, an escape. You know, so they will, there still will be that audience that watches the Oscars and, uh, you know, wants to see uh, uh, all this stuff. But is it is going to be as nearly as many as it was in the past? No, I don't think so. I think that it's changing. I, I, dude, that's a great thing. I totally agree with Chris. And I think somebody that came in revering Hollywood, revering movies. I mean, I wasn't raised on kids' movies. You know, our generation, Daryl, our kid movie was Chinatown, Serpico. You know, um, all of those movies is what I watched. I watched The Exorcist when I was nine, you know, so it was like you didn't have. Your parents are great. <laughs> no, we just, no, dude, there wasn't a lot. There wasn't kids programming, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah just so kidding. So I watched, you know, I know fucking William Freakin movies. And it was. <laughs> my and my awesome. grand, the true, true story to sidetrack for a second. My grandfather once let me watch Meatballs. As a kid, I was like, I was like eight years old and watching Meatballs because I, I thought it was a comedy, and then in so it was a comedy. It was, but it was also a lot of nudity, like you know, and it was, it was funny. But like, this is what I was watching when I was like eight, and no parent would ever, you know, let their kid like, oh yeah, there's a girl getting railed in this scene, but you know, it's fine, it's a comedy, like. Yeah. No parent would ever let that happen. So did we define the dream then, Jamie? Well, no, I mean like what. I want to know if I'm like bitter old man or am I like on the something? Yes, that's what you are. To, to me, <laughs> like Chris just said it perfectly. You can see all the machinations 
And once you get in the business and you know it and you start seeing all the machinations, you understand. But now all the machinations are being seen by somebody in Kansas and they're seeing everything. Like he's right. Like everything is being exposed. And it's kind of like, ooh, well, maybe that wasn't like, you know, just luck. That was like kind of rigged. I just feel like what you're saying with everything going on with COVID, like you are reevaluating your value system. And then also it's just like, you got to put things in perspective. Everybody's got one of these and everybody's doing TikTok. (laughs) And I'm literally like inundated with content. And I'm like, you know, how do I get these eyeballs to see, you know, my special, you know what I mean? And it's, 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 so what I mean by the dream is I, I do think that people are just going to be like, are going to be a little bit more like meh with Hollywood, my opinion, but maybe I'm wrong. I know. I, I agree. I think so. I mean, I don't know. There's still, there's still a lot of call. I mean, we were, we were talking about Hollywood a little bit before this, uh, before you joined us too. We we're talking about remakes and things like that and sequels. Oh. And, and let's, let, let's mention this because you, one of your, the movies that you were iconic in, it was a uh, scream and they're making another one. Yes. Well, that, yeah. that, that should be awesome because how do you feel about that? Do you, are you excited for that? Uh, people ask me all the time and I'm, listen, I'm very fortunate to be a part of that world. I love it. And like what Daryl was saying earlier, like that was a merit, uh, meritocracy in terms of I auditioned multiple times and it was only by the grace of Wes Craven's hand that I got a career because he just kept mm-hmm. saying, I like this dude, this dude's the character and everybody else. And I'm not mad about it. They were like, no, get this guy, get this name, get this name. And he's like, no, this is the guy I want. And so That's if awesome. you remember, I was the only person in that movie with no credits. Like I had one credit. And, <laughs> and it was – They killed liter- you off. <laughs> yeah, and it was, a literal, it was a literal break. And it was just because he just kept liking my read. And then, um, you know, so then I got killed, which is totally part of it. That's what makes Scream so great is because they kill characters – yeah, you really of course. Like. Of course. So that means everybody's on it. Um, but I knew that they were going to do it. I was hearing about it, and these young directors are awesome. So I think it's great. I mean, like I'm not involved. So, but people always ask. I, I me, want. Like, I want to see you get brought I'm back. Dead. I'm dead. I know. But I think they get annoyed with it because everyone says that. <laughs> but you could. You know, they could write you, and they could be like, "Well, he didn't really die." You know, he looked. We 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 thought we killed him off, but then we turned. You know, we could do some sort of thing like that, but. I have a question for Jamie. Um, how much like real life Hollywood do you think the TV series Entourage was? Is that a good? Is that a good depiction of show business? Dude, you had a great role in Entourage, man. I loved your role in Entourage. Thank you, buddy. I uh, admired your work in Entourage. Oh, uh, dude, thank you so much. I, dude, it means a lot coming from you. And, yeah, that um, was seriously good stuff. Well, he, and for those that are listening, uh, you know, Jamie played uh, a role in Entourage where he uh, basically took over Andrew Dice Clay's role, uh, you know, on, on, a, on a TV show and uh, did a great impression of Andrew Dice Clay. It was really good, man. It was awesome. It, yeah, and the thing, the thing about it was, was it was so nuanced. I know it was broad and supposed to be broad, but Dice Clay is not that easy to do. He's got different moves and different layers, and there's a reason he had that charisma. You can't just go up there and do that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. Mean, you he, really got to fucking know what you're doing. It's heavy lifting, and 
Boy, well, you were good at that. How long did you work on Dice before you did that? Um, I did it. I, I met the director and the creator, and then he had this role, and he was like, it's Johnny Bananas. And then I was like, dude, because I was I, – I want to answer the other question after that, but – um, and I just – I was like – he told me what it was, and so I just watched his special where I discovered Dice. I watched two things, his HBO special – Right, and then I watched um, his Dangerfield. Um, do you remember when Rodney's had his with him and Bob Saget? Sure. And um, there was like ten comedians, and all of them became huge after that. So I watched yes. that, mm-hmm. and I just you know you you I just started working on a sound and then a line and in the voice. You know how you try to grab off a word and then repeat the word and usually just copy their phrases. Yeah. Um, but I, well, what was the other question you wanted to no, answer? No, like you said, and I'll go back to it, is that the entourage, and thank you, man. I really do appreciate you guys. Yes. Oh, yes. So much fun. And Dice approved it, which made me feel really Oh, that's great. Really I love nice. that script, man. That script was so good. And just that that, that whole show was well-casted. But here's know? what I say about it, is that, yeah, I mean, Doug is incredible, He's an amazing writer, and he knows how he knows the world. I say to Daryl's first question is, Entourage is so real, and like there were times where I couldn't watch it because I was so envious. I'm like, I I can tell you what was what was based on what, where that yeah. happened, who that really was, <laughs> and I'll tell you when it really hit home. It hit home from the beginning, but because it's based on Mark and a few other people, is when the publicist or somebody made a delivery from the agency's office and she goes to Vinny Chase's house and then she comes in to drop off the script and he's like, leave it at the gate. She's like, oh, I can just bring it to you. That little thing. And then they come in the house and they hand it to you and they just kind of hang. It's like, this is so... Beautifully nuanced and real because I've had that happen. I'm sure you have too, Daryl. Where like the assistant comes in and there's like this moment and they're just kind of there looking and like thank you and they're like oh okay like that was just a little thing. I don't know how it's insider for maybe me. Well, what is the what's the uncomfortable silence all about? Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. You know, this you can say a lot of things, but that uncomfortable (laughs) silence. Also, the scene when Vinny had sex with another actress at a talk show in the green room. I heard about that. So, yeah. Then they came out and talked about it on the, on the set. Mm-hmm. I remember that. I think I, my favorite was uh, when they gave Vinny uh, a uh, drug problem. And I was like, Oh, these writers, look at the writers writing about cocaine abuse. What a fucking shocker. Huh? Like, <laughs> but, but I also liked it later when Vinny, you know, when he was having a beer one time and he goes, listen, man, I'm not a fucking drug addict. I was hanging out with these people. It was, it was a few nights. You're the guys that threw me in. And and, he's, and I didn't think he was a drug addict. I think he partied for a, a week. Yeah, he partied hard for a week. That was yeah. it. But I, I just was like, leave it to the writers to write in a drug problem. They're out of fucking material. Here we go. <laughs> you know what else? One, go ahead. That's Alex. one of the few shows in my life where I would be sitting on the couch and suddenly be, I was so involved in what was going on that I became unselfconscious and stop trying to criticize and figure everything out. And how did they do that? 
and just laughed out loud. Oh, yeah. So funny. So funny. It's so funny. It is so hilarious. And, like, and the movies. I was in the movie theater, and I was just howling. Haley Joel Osment as the son of Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, yeah. So that's so real. Yeah. that's a hundred percent real. Like agencies will go and find the rich guy and try to get a hundred million dollar fund. And all of a sudden this kid is the son is the head of a mini studio. Dude, the greatest line ever is when Piven said um, about him having Javini having sex with the girl. He goes, they're movie stars. <laughs> they fuck the That's- girls. You can't. Brilliant! It's brilliant. Yeah, we gotta we gotta have Piven on one of these days and get him uh, to talk about this. It's not easy. I'm a hard audience because I'm just such a cynical fuck, and and I'm I'm depressed a lot and I'm bitter. But that fucking stuff just—I mean, I just roared. I was laughing hard. Yeah. See, and you know what I love, Daryl? That's what I mean partially of the dream too. Is like, what I mean is like. Can we have fun anymore? Like, like yeah, no, no kidding. Going on sets was is fun. You know what I mean? You work hard. You get your scene. You might see, dude. I can tell you so many stories with producers, actors, directors, myself included. There's a lot of tension, and guess what? That's okay. Yeah, it's a process. Okay. Yes. I mean, it's like Kurt Cobain killed himself, and it's terrible. But you got bleach. You got utero. <laughs> In utero, like never fucking, mind. <laughs> yeah, art is fucking pain, and so mm. when you're making these highly incredible things under this intense pressure, there's going to be flare-ups, and it's okay. And that would keep within our safety zone in a sandbox. Well, that changed, as you know, with social media and all that stuff. And it's like no one can make a mistake anymore. And then like people hook up; those things do happen. I, I hate yeah. people like actors and actresses get together. You know, and sometimes people probably do bumps, you know, that happens. Some (laughs) people like espresso, some people like other stuff. (laughs) Some of the greatest movies. What I'm saying is, and I don't know, listen, we have to clean up the system, but that's what I mean. I'd like to get your guys' take on that. Well, Chris tried to pick a chick up in the park today. <laughs> Dude, you still trying to pick up? You can't do it. Oh, Buddy, I, I tried today. I, I had too much, I had too much coffee this morning, and I gave it a shot and uh, I, I went down in flames. I didn't want to tell him because he's here in the apartment with me, you know. <laughs> and when I upset him, and I was, I thought it was a little creepy, right? It was. Tell, tell oh, him. Yeah, it was creepy. Tell, creepy. Tell, you tell me. <laughs> tell him. What did what'd you say to this poor girl? So I walked up to this woman. <laughs> no. she, this is going to hurt you in five years. Be sure if you want to say this. I don't care. I, talk, I talked about it already. It was, we, talked, we did this whole thing before you came on. But basically, I, uh, this woman had a dog, and uh, the dog started coming up to me. And so I basically used it as an excuse, as an icebreaker. I was like, can I pet your dog? Because he likes me more than you, apparently. And then just started going in from there. And That's, then I, the, that's the icebreaker. That was the icebreaker. Yeah, let's, you know, sometimes, like I said, shooters got to shoot, Jamie. All right? I'm a shooter, mm-hmm. uh, clearly. And uh, I said, I And said, I pet your dog. I mean, yes. Jesus Christ. Well, it gets worse. A charge. It no, gets no. worse. It the gets dog, worse. The dog likes me more than you. Yes. Hi, my name's Chris. Hi, my, yeah. No, that was his opener? <laughs> that was my opener, yes. Were you eye level or were you looking up? 
No offense. Uh, I <laughs> Stop that fucking no offense, shit. You Hold um, on, dude. That's aggressive in 2020. You, oh, it gets worse. I got more aggressive with it. I'm joking around. She has, no, she has no mask on. This girl's gorgeous. I literally was like, uh, I said to her, I go, I said, you know, hi, my name's Chris. I said, oh, you know, how's your day going? She goes, yeah, it's, it's okay. You know, and I said, uh, you must be having the greatest day because you just won the lottery. You hit, you hit the jackpot by meeting me. It's oh, <laughs> so creepy. Oh God! So, so Jamie, if I could make you know, you ever hear? <laughs> Look at oh, this! God. I love how your face, by the way, melts into that background, but also the way. No, you, but you ever hear like how women can go ew, ew? <laughs> Dude, I can't. Disgusting. I can't make the sound, but if I could, that's that's yeah. what tried to come out. Of Ew. <laughs> Your lines are 2007, doggy. I don't care, man. I literally was like, I've been, you know what it is? Is I had a lot of coffee and I've been in lockdown for fucking six months, okay? And you're trying to get Daryl in trouble? Because, I mean, she recognizes him and he's just like collateral damage. <laughs> he, he wasn't with me. Oh, okay. No, no, it was just me at the park today. So hold on. You're in the park. You actually attempted to make conversation. I did. I gave it a shot. I was like, what have I got to lose? Wait, you got to meet me. What did she say to that? (laughs) I kind of, if I'm a six foot, half Swede, half Nairobi, (laughs) which you usually see in that part of town, it's just a stunning smoke show. I might like say, this kid's got some chutzpah. Yeah, I might see, say that to you. She gave me a little smirk, but I think it was more of a, a, a uh, you know, just kind of a like a pity smirk, really. And then I, uh, I, you know, I, she said, I said, you know, I would love to take you out sometime. I don't know. If this oh is God! Fun. Yeah, and then she goes, "Well, I have a boyfriend." And I said, "Oh, that's going to be a shame because he's going to be upset when you break up with him." Oh, oh God! This is nuts. <laughs> Did you actually do this? Yeah, this is like seven levels of don't, bro. Shooters gotta shoot, okay? Uh. The only time the only time I've heard dialogue as crisp as that, I was in the nut house, okay? (laughs) That's the kind of shit crazy people say to each other on the phone. Oh yeah, I you know I I you know I knew what I was doing. I was like, all right, you know what? I'm uh, I'm going down in flames. I'm just gonna go for it and. She was very nice, and on the off chance that she ever listens to this, uh, I, I miss you very much. And uh, <laughs> oh, Jesus, Chris! Oh my God, Honey, this letters is, from this Ted. Is, this is uh... <laughs> <laughs> Chris. It's twenty twenty in I a know. pandemic. I know. And I... You were the last time I checked, straight white male. <laughs> yeah. Are you out changed. of your gourd? You yeah, can't I'm a shot, man. Dude, I don't even make eye contact, bro. <laughs> That's all you can do now because your face is covered up half the time. So, you know, yeah, everyone's you, just out there eye fucking each other. You can't, <laughs> you can't go up to people anymore and go, you know, I really like to throw you a nice one. <laughs> <laughs> I really like to throw you a hump. You know. Uh, uh, anyway, um, before we're gonna we catch we- a case. Before we wrap this up, I do want to ask you, Jamie, uh, since we talk a lot about SNL on this podcast, you auditioned Ooh. once. You auditioned uh, once. Way yes. back. A while back. Way back. It was yeah. uh, Tell 90, us about your audition. 94. Um, so that was right before Daryl, right? Or is that your first year? Yeah. Daryl? I think Daryl's already on. No, when 95. You, okay. 95 he started. So I, I – what happened? So, I mean, obviously, I was I was raised on SNL, and yes, you know, I, I remember watching it when I was five. I remember watching it like 
I was lucky because my parents were older. And so they went to sleep early. So TV kind of raised me. So <laughs> obviously I'd watch it every, I would watch it all the way from Landshark to Gumby to, you know, to Daryl's Bill Clinton. I mean, I still watch it. You know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah, it's our institution, as you know. And um, I didn't really know about improv and I learned about it and I got into an improv group through an audition and we would do shows. And that's like how I started my comedy. And then it got, it got canceled. And uh, there was a couple in the late eighties improv groups in LA and you could audition. And then I didn't, and then all they, they shut down and then there was the groundlings and there was second city for a little while out here. And I really wanted to join. And I just had, I, dude, I was broke. I have to be honest with you. I was so broke. And it was like a step. And that's when somebody's like, you got to try stand up. And then, you know, obviously doing your research, you know that a lot of great stand ups were also. So I started developing whatever I could through my stand up. And um, I was at Igby's and it was in, in like 94. And uh, a great manager and talent scout named Pam Thomas saw me. And she, Daryl, I'm sure you you know Pam Thomas. Yeah, he, we do. He, he saw me, and she put me in front of Lauren and told me everything to expect. And so then I went in, and I she's like, "You're going to go to his his, his uh, office on the lot." And so I did. Was this in L.A. Said, or New York? In L.A., you go to Paramount, and she's like, "You may wait anywhere from three to six hours." Oh, yeah, I've heard and, that before. People wait forever. And you walk in and you're walking in basically, you know, you're walking into God's lair. I mean, this is the God <laughs> of comedy. And he was very busy doing stuff and going back and he's constantly doing stuff. And, you're, and I just sat there and I barely looked up. And then he did his whole stuff at the end of the day. And then six hours later, he's like, he's like, I hear you do characters. I don't know if that's a good impression. And then I'm like, and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, would you like to fly to New York? And I was like, and then the next thing, I was it. And then boom, went to New York. I put up in a hotel. Was there, stayed up all night. Auditioned at, uh, I want to say, I want to say Gotham, Gotham back then. Yeah, the old one, the old Gotham. Yeah, and um, I want to say it was mostly women. It was me, either Sarah Silverman. She wasn't on that one, but I think Sarah was either on that year or getting that year. And uh, I had a good set, and Chris Farley was there. And I'll never forget it. it, it See this T-shirt I'm wearing? Oh, dude, that's incredible. <laughs> that's yeah. incredible. The homage to Farley, man. I love it. Yeah. And about six comics went up. And I want to say Karen killed Gareth audition that year I'm, I'm okay it was mostly women and then i walked off the stage and farley gave me a big smack he's like you killed man and he was so <laughs> sweet and he just hit me and then i went back to my hotel room and next morning got on the plane and then like three days later i finally didn't get it and i was it was painful man it was well, painful we've heard I a lot we've heard a I lot i got turned down twice really yeah yeah, we've been talking a lot about SNL auditions, and we've heard a lot of people talk about how they crushed, like Godfrey, for instance, crushed, but just never got it. He, he auditioned like three or four times. Daryl, 
auditioned a couple of times and he, you know, he's did well. And, and it's, sometimes it just takes, it doesn't, there's no rhyme or reason. It's whatever is in Lauren's he, mood and feeling and, and, and whatever that happens to be that day, you know? Well, I think that you were like, they, I think that year they were like, we just wanted a woman. They, they picked a, a woman who became known. Oh, oh, you know, who was on my, Molly Shannon was that year. And I don't think she got it either. And then the next year she got it. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. And she's like, I know I went back and then I got scream. And then my agents like, you know, you should go for SNL again. And they said, no, he's now in movies. So we want to kind of discover our upstarts. Oh, that so then there was, I know. Cause I was like, Ooh, so I have some credits, but that's like the one place where, you kind of, they don't, kind of don't want you to have credits because they want to build their own, which totally yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, man, I, I want to hear that Daryl's two-time story because I was devastated to finish this, as everybody is who gets the chance. But, like, and I know there was multiple reasons why you don't get it, what they say. You know, you don't do enough political impressions or we're looking for women or blah, blah, blah. And I, I had to, like, reevaluate what I wanted to do because I was, like, why do stand up anymore? Like that was the goal. And then crazy enough, I got my first commercial not long after that. And then that started picking up and then I started getting more spots and stuff, but I didn't know what I was going to do. But Daryl, you went in twice. Well, um, yeah. Well, one time I mailed, I had a, I spent a lot of money. I was working in Orlando for a radio station and I spent a lot of money on a videographer who made and cut together clips of me doing eight different people. I think I remember. And, and I mailed it in. And my friend at CBS TV down there had a contact at SNL and was talking to them regularly. And finally they just said, decided this is uh, it's not, not his time or something like that. They didn't say he sucked. But then a few years later, I auditioned at Stand Up New York, and I had one of those dream sets. You know, guys, what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Where it all murdering together. You're like, oh, my God, all those years on the fucking road with Billy Gardell. (laughs) And all those clubs and driving around and people not paying us and getting stiffed and getting booed off stage all coalesced into perfect Daryl. And I had a perfect set and I didn't get it, you know? Wow. So what, ha- so then what happened? So a uh, couple more years went by and um, someone saw a, a, a clip of me doing Bill Clinton at um, Caroline's. And I got a call in and it was explained to me that they wanted to see how many impressions I could do. And, um, I did a shit ton of them, you know? And I got called back again, and I did a shit ton more. And then we did a show at Stand Up New York, in which I did or a comedy strip, in which I did a good set. And uh, then I got called to a dinner, and say they wanted to talk to me and see if fucking, you know, I'm not a fucking freak, too much of a freak anyway. You know, and I, I ended up getting at that time... Um, just the whole idea. I just hit the ball. It went over the top of the stadium. It's in the parking lot. Or, you know what I mean? It yeah. went into the fucking East River and not get the part was a great education about show business. 
Wow. Yeah, isn't that wild, man? I mean, it's just, there's never any rhyme or reason. It's like you said, there's sometimes they're looking for a female, sometimes, you know, but they also want to keep their eyes out for, you know, maybe this guy will be good next year, you know, and, and you got a lot of that things going, but you never hear back. You just think you're, I just crushed, and what did I do wrong? How come they didn't pick me? What they did, you know? they did do, they're, they are at least humane about it. They will tell you if you don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, or, that's okay, but, I love. but they don't, they don't tell you why you didn't get it, though. Barry Katz was there, and he said I had a, a great set too. And I was Barry like, Katz, yeah. yeah. And I was like, "Wow!" But it, first of all, it's the institution of comedy, so just a chance to even do it, I was like blessed. And you know, yeah, you're right. You never know, and it's and it's okay because you're going for you're going for you know you're going for Manchester United. <laughs> well, I mean, this, this is this was the the fate of it because the two times I had auditioned, you know, f- you know, Phil Hartman was the quote unquote older guy, I meaning mid to late thirties. So by the time I got there, I was mid to late thirties, and he had retired. They had to have someone like him, mm-hmm. a little older, who could really be versatile for them. So my timing was right. Yes, he could plug you into anything. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, if the person who picked me out of the lot to and pushed me for Lauren had been in a different room that day, my life would be a very different story. Right? Those are the, those are the, that's, those are the, what do you call it? Vicissitudes. (laughs) You mean like the, you mean like if that person didn't see you and someone else saw you? Yeah. Yeah. Because that person had so much fucking power and so much sway with Lauren. And maybe another person wouldn't have had that. And they're like, yeah, that guy's pretty good. It's not our job. Just fucking play the fucking thing. Shit, you man. Know? Yeah, that's so true. It's like you never know what it, you're right. I mean, that, that was like all the stars aligned that day. It's like, <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, that's, I know, as much as, you think you can do something good. We kind of have, we have zero control. And also there is happenstance that just plays into it. Speaking yeah. of Barry Katz, he virtually wrote both of my auditions. Really? Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Were you, were you managed by him then? Yeah. Oh, okay. He's managed everybody, man. That guy has had the roster of oh, comedians. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. And I I enjoy listening to his podcast sometimes. I mean, uh, I love, I've met him a couple of times. He's a nice guy. You know, uh, it's just cool hearing stories from other people about what it was like when he repped them and where he found them and how he, you know, what he did with them and, and things like that. And uh, it's fun, man. I mean, it's, were you repped by him, Jamie, or no? No, but he was always the greatest guy to me and talked talk about a nurturer. Like, he'll find there's somebody that just sees a grain of talent in somebody and nurtures it and knows yeah. how to do it. I mean, he's one of the last few of a dying breed of like, he's a real, real man. Of a manager who really managed. Yeah, yes, no shit, really. totally. Goes sure. to every set, gives you notes. Yeah. He gave me notes. And he you didn't even challenge me. No, <laughs> he just liked me. Yeah, yeah. I, he's the best. Now, yeah. uh, real quick, Jamie, I know you're on a, uh, you know, time constraint here. We got to get corporate. Yeah, we got to get going. Um, can you stay for a few more minutes? And, yeah. Okay. 
We usually have, um, I'm going to give you a choice here. So we usually have our guests uh, tell us kind of a wild story at the end of the podcast, something either they witnessed or they uh, experienced themselves. And if you don't, if you're worried about incriminating anybody, you can tell it from the third person. What's the wild story? Anything that's happened to you on stage or off stage or, you know, maybe shooting a movie. But here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you an out if you want to do something different because this is, this is me uh, knowing you so well. I always wanted to hear more about um, Malibu's Most Wanted. Oh. Yeah, so I, I love that movie, and uh, I know you wrote Thank it with you, a good friend of ours, Nick Swartz. And, and yeah. uh, I, if you have any cool stories from that, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say if you'd like to tell that, you can tell that too. I love, I love it. You give homework for your podcast. I do give um, Yes. Um, well, Malibu's is a great example of what we're talking about. Like, yeah. I had done this character, like, you know, it's only, re- it's only in the last, like, 15 years that like again, I started putting jokes in, you know, like to me, stand up was just a character like showcase, you know what I mean? But it's like you do it, and if there's no punchline, people are just looking at you. And so, yeah, you know what? Can I interject and see if this makes sense? Lauren said to me early on, he goes, You know, you don't say funny things, you say things in a funny way. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. That's I the did. best. There were no jokes. Yes. See, that's, that's the, but that's real, you know, and that's the realest, that's the funniest way. You know what I mean? I hate having to do jokes, but I respect it when someone can write a good one, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. But like, so I would do these characters on stage and then, you know, like you'd go up and you try and then you get a laugh and then, oh, that works because you're just riffing. And then the next thing you know, you have like four minutes of it. So I did B-Rad and then B-Rad got popular, and I did it on, I don't know if you remember the show, Late Friday. Um, was that Late, on Comedy Central or something? Late Friday was on NBC, and it had NBC. a stand-up showcase. Okay. And so it was me, Nick, and Fred Armisen. And so okay. we all did sets. And then Nick was like, yo, I think I got an idea for this character. Cause you said you wanted to do it as a movie. And I was like, yeah. And then boom, uh, Nick was like, he wrote 10 pages and gave them to me in like four days. That's awesome. And they were fucking hysterical. Yeah. The movie was great, man. And I'm surprised that it didn't have more box office success because it ended up becoming like a cult classic. Like it became like, like one of those movies that everyone fucking watched when it came out on, on demand or in the DVD or whatever, you know? It it did well, like like you said, like it found its niche. It, yeah, it made its money back and then some. But you know, dude, it's like a you know a small comedy. Yeah, coming yeah. Out and it, it, it was so. It's such marketing a- was, but if no, but people. But I'm very happy with the success because people did find it on different things, and now it's just like constantly replaying. Now, how was how was it like making that movie? Did you have? I mean, was it just fun? I mean, I don't know. I like. If you don't remember um, much of it, but it was very intense, actually, because <laughs> I had, you know, sometimes when you make things that are fun for you, the people doing it, it was, uh, it was fun. Here's what it was. I wouldn't, I would say it was this. It was, it felt amazing to be able to take an idea that was a kernel of a character that I came up with in my apartment after studying things in society, yeah, getting it on TV turning it with my friend into a germ of an idea of a script. And then that script 
being made and then into a movie with amazing actors that I loved and I like watched and then saying lines that I helped create it. So that was, that's awesome. It was, it was incredible, incredibly gratifying, but it was also a lot of intensity because there was a lot of pressure of like, yo, you got to deliver. And I had fun doing it because I knew my character so well, but like, are we going to get this scene? Do we have enough today? Is this scene going to be cut because we were losing the day? Yeah. Uh, you know, what joke? There was a lot of jokes. I will say this. I love Warner Brothers. And for a guy that was my first starring, starring role of an idea that I promoted and pitched. And I would fight for jokes. And the executives would be like pretty lenient with me, but they'd be like, now take that one out, take one out. And I'll never forget, you know, <laughs> I said, please just test this joke. Please. If it doesn't work, take out five more. And he's like, okay. And they did. And a joke would kill. And they'd be like, all right, leave it in. They <laughs> that's, knew, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's rare, dude. Like the, yeah. they, saw, they saw the audience liking it. They go, okay, keep it in. Nice. And that, I was lucky to have a cool guy, like an executive like you, like a person I knew who was on the movie. So if it didn't, I don't know how the movie would have turned out. Yeah. I keep telling you we need to write a sequel to it. I said, I, so for, for those listening, I, I pitched him, I pitched him an idea and I said, let's write Malibu's most wanted the sequel. I said, but this time he's got a kid and he's trying to raise a kid, you know, and, and, you know, his, his kid is kind of emulating him a little bit. And then, you know, it's, it's similar, similar premise, obviously, but you know, you got to play the dad role now and you, you could be, you know, Papa B-Rat. <laughs> Well, you got to You got to give me. You gotta write a couple of paragraphs, buddy, and talk to me uh, offline. Yeah, buddy. Well, I'll type it up and we'll throw it over. But I think that would be a fun, a fun sequel to to, to write. And I think it, I think the fans would love it. And we could always we could always do a uh, a crowdfunding thing to to get fans on 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 board too. You know, like yeah. the Super Trooper guys did. I don't know if you remember that when they got their sequel, they got their fans to put up the money to make the movie. They did. How much did they? Oh, yeah. But I thought they raised a couple million. That's amazing. I and they did it. Was like it, was, it was low budget, but like they, they made, they, oh, I thought they made it with the studio. That's incredible. They made it off of like, I think they did it for like 2 million uh, budget and it was so low budget, but they just put, they threw it together and they had the whole, all, it was all crowdfunded. And I think that's wow. going to be the future of a lot of like certain things because sometimes studios don't want to invest their money in shit like this. They want, you know, they're, they're too scared that they're going to lose money or it's not going to be a hit or whatever. And then that's when like people like those guys, broken lizard guys, or, or you even like, you know, you get the fans involved because the fans are the ones that are really going to want it. And they're the ones that are really putting their, their heart and soul into it. And, you know, I so agree. I think that that could be the future, man. They could, every, they could have been onto something there. It'll be on demand of what the people want to see it. Yeah. That you'll be, that'll be made. I agree. Why make things in a vacuum? Yeah, absolutely. All right, buddy. Well, um, we know you got to go. You're keep the, you're on a time limit here today. I'm so, sorry. I literally you you picked the day. I actually have another. <laughs> Zoom. I have a corporate Zoom. It's all good. We appreciate you being on, man. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, man. It's, it's, let's, let's let's do some more stuff. Yeah. Is there anything you want to promote real quick before uh, before we go? I know you got a, you've got a brand new special. It's out on what Tubi right now. Uh, yeah, I got special. It's called Stupid Smart. Um, it's on Tubi, but it's now also on Amazon Prime. Oh, that's great. Um, it's on iTunes. It's on Vudu. It's on Google Play. It's on <laughs> it's Pandora. On everything. So, yeah, I, yeah. You know, you guys have to. You put everything on OTT now. Yeah, and I, so, I I could vouch for the special as I saw you work on it for a couple of years. I was fortunate enough to open for you on the road 
for a few years and watched you work on it, put your heart and soul into it. <laughs> Guys, the least you can do, listeners, is go watch a special, okay? Thank you. Plus, he's got <laughs> multiple specials in the past that you can look up. Uh, plus, he's got that Roku channel, right? So Yeah, I'm starting to put stuff on that. So. Yeah, and then uh, you can find him online on social media at the Jamie Kennedy, right? Yeah, the Jamie Kennedy, Jamie Kennedy on Twitter, Jamie Kennedy on Facebook. Uh, you know, all the stuff. Yeah, man. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here with us, dude. Appreciate it. And you know, awesome, I love you, buddy. Jamie. Thank you for being on. Dude, thanks, thanks Jamie. Chris. Daryl, great talking to you, man. Awesome, dude. Really, right, we got to do it again, guys. Thank you. Yeah. I hope so. Next time you come on, we're doing impressions with the both of you. I love it. I got to work on some. <laughs> yeah, let's get that going next time. <laughs> all right, buddy. Thank you so much. We'll see you later. See you guys. All Bye. right. Guys, that was uh, Jamie Kennedy. What a great guest. What an amazing guest. Uh, we appreciate him being on. How'd you feel about it, Daryl? What a great podcast, right? It was terrific. He's, uh, he's, he's underrated, man. He's a guy that some people know a little bit from movies from back in the day, but he's, uh, he's a good dude and, and very always very entertaining. I definitely recommend watching his specials. Uh, guys, thank you very much for listening to us uh, on our podcast again. And if you haven't already, please subscribe. Please download. Please give us five stars. Write a nice review. And follow both of us on social media. We just talked about how important it is. We need to get those numbers up, those likes, those double taps. Let's do that. Uh, he's uh, at Daryl C. Hammond on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, and I am at Chris Milhouse. Two L's in Milhouse uh, on all those things as well. Thank you guys so much. This is the Third Person Podcast. We will see you next week. <laughs>